The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When our Genesis passage today, Joseph says two of the most important things that are said in the book of Genesis. And there are a lot of important things said in the book of Genesis, but Joseph gets two of the best lines. For us to understand their significance, we need to go back to the beginning. This may be a review for some of you, but you'll remember that Joseph's father Jacob, also named Israel, had two wives, Leah and Rachel. Joseph had uh, gone back to the old country to find himself a wife, as his father Isaac had done, and Joseph fell in love with this beautiful girl named Rachel. And so he went to her father Laban and said, I want to marry her. And Laban says, you'll work for me for seven years, and then you can marry her. So after the seven years were over, they had the wedding, and the next morning Joseph wakes up, and it's not Rachel next to him. It's her sister Leah. Her father says, well, you know, we don't usually marry off the younger without marrying off the older one first. So Joseph says, that wasn't the deal. And Laban says, all right, well, you can marry Rachel too, but you need to work for me another seven years. And he does. Now, not only did we have Rachel and Leah, we had Bilhah and Zilpah, their servants, who were also Jacob's concubines. And Jacob had a total of 12 sons. Half of those were born by Leah. In fact, the four oldest were Leah's. And for the longest time, Rachel was unable to have children, even though she was the favored wife of, of Jacob. And so, in chapter 30 of Genesis, we find 
And finally, God remembered Rachel, listened to her, and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. And, and he did, another son named Benjamin. So, skipping ahead to chapter 37, find out uh, 17 years later when Joseph was growing up, we find out that this dysfunctional family is not just dysfunctional, but hostile. And Joseph doesn't help things much. I mean, you can understand why his older brothers would be resentful. For one, the older brothers always hate the younger brothers and are always trying to get them in trouble. You can imagine how the boys certainly would have been of an age where they would have recognized that there was a favored wife and their mom wasn't that. But even worse, we find out that Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. In fact, Jacob had given Joseph a very special coat to wear, and the translators argue about whether it was a coat of many colors or it was a coat that had sleeves. Either way, it was very special. And not only did Joseph have this coat, Joseph also had a gift for interpreting dreams. What he didn't have was a gift for tact. So we read that Joseph had a dream. He said, uh, so listen, this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said, you intend to reign over us? Really, you're going to rule us? They hated him all the more. Then the next day, he says, hey, guess what, guys? I had another dream. Listen, this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, even, now at this point, Jacob had to step in and tell Joseph to cut it out. You can have your whole family bowing down to you, but his brothers could not stand him. So, they figured out a way to get rid of the problem. This, of course, was before the Godfather. They didn't know to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. They wanted to keep their friends close and their enemy dead. So, Joseph goes out to his brothers as they're out pasturing their, son, their dad's flocks. Again, you can imagine Joseph gets to stay home and hang out. They're out working. Joseph gets sent by, by Jacob to go and, and check on them. I'm sure they loved that. And they figure, you know what? Rather than killing him, what if we sell him off into slavery? So they put him in a pit They sold him off to these Midianite slave traders who took him eventually to Egypt. Brought the robe back. They bloodied it up with the goat's blood. Took it back to the old man and said, looks like something happened to Joe. And his father was miserable. Tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All of his Kids tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to go down to my grave in mourning because of my son. Which, again, 
would have endeared his kids to him all the more. Well, skip ahead another 20 years. We find out in Genesis 42 that Joseph is now, having been sold as a slave to Egypt, he has now risen through the ranks. Pharaoh has noticed his exceptional gifts. In fact, Joseph is basically running the place. And we find out that uh, at the time of famine, Jacob, finding out that there was grain in Egypt, says to his sons, and I, I love this line, why do you guys keep looking at each other? There's grain in Egypt. Go down there and get some. So they did. And, you know, <clears throat> Joseph figures out that it's them, and he messes with them for a few chapters. He uh, finally, though, reveals himself in chapter 45. And he invites them to go back and, and get the rest of the family, bring them to Egypt. Pharaoh sets them up. They've got places to, to, uh, to live, to have their, their flocks. And then... Seventeen more years later, by this point, Joseph's in his fifties. His brothers are much older. Jacob falls ill. Gives his sons this magnificent blessing in chapter 49, and then, and then he dies. So, that's what gets us to our passage today. Joseph has received back his brothers. He has provided for his whole family. His father has died. And now his brothers say, uh-oh, dad's not around anymore. And Joe might still be mad. So, again, genius award for these guys. They sent word to Joseph saying, hey, guess what? Right before he died, Dad said, make sure that Joseph knows he's supposed to forgive his brothers. Okay? That, that's totally going to work, right? Joseph wept, possibly because of how pathetic his brothers were. They threw himself, themselves down before him and said, we're your slaves. And then Joseph says, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So as I said, Joe gets two of the most important lines in Genesis. The one is where he says, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. It's one of the most comforting words to me when I think about all the horrors that go on in the world, when I think about the things I've suffered, the injustices, the things that have come against me that I didn't deserve. No, God is able to make a way from that. God is able to redeem that which any of us would find irredeemable. It doesn't mean that it's okay when the bad thing has happened. It means that God is able to do something with them. But I think theologically even more important than that 
is what Joseph says right before that in verse 19. What am I, God? Am I in the place of God? Here at the beginning of the school year, I'm reminded of the introduction to theology class I used to teach at Loyola. And I would tell these students, look, if you remember nothing else from this class, remember this. There are two name tags. There's the one that says God and the one that says not God. We get the one that says not God. If you get nothing else, that is crucial. And in a lot of ways, that's the way Genesis rolls out. It starts off making a a sharp distinction between God the Creator and what He creates. There's God and there's not God. But to understand the significance of Joseph saying, what am I, God? Go back to the very beginning of Genesis in chapter 3, the fall of humankind, where the serpent asks Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? And she says, oh, we can eat from the trees. It's just this one we can't eat from, can't even touch it. Had God told her you can't touch it? No, she had already twisted what God had said. You're not going to die, serpent says. I know God told you you're going to die, but you're not going to die. In fact, you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. Eat that fruit, you're going to have your eyes opened and you will know good and evil. You'll be just like him. Now, people dispute about what God's plan was. Some people say God's intention was that once Adam and Eve had matured, once they had gotten to develop as human beings and their relationship with Him, that He would have wanted to disclose more to them. Others say the real problem here is them wanting to be like God. I'm more inclined to see it that way. But, but the point is that what they were invited to do was to take that God name tag and slap it on their own chest. That's the nature of sin. Every time we sin, we tell God, no, we know better than you. Thank you. I know better than you do what's good for me. That's idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything in the place of God. And when we do that, we commit idolatry. But a very wise friend of mine, a rabbi out in Chicago named Yechiel Pupko, points out that at the end of Genesis, Joseph, in forgiving his brothers and accepting their repentance, their return, he says, what am I, God? Adam and Eve said, yeah, we want to be God. We want to be just like Him. But Joseph says, no. I'm not God. Forgiveness, my rabbi friend went on to say, begins in humility. Joseph's able to forgive his brothers because he is a humble man. St. Augustine pointed out that pride is the root of all sin. What is pride, he said? but the craving for undue exaltation. 
Pride is when you want to have a position that's not rightly yours. Pride is when you want it so bad that you're willing to do anything to get it. This is undue exaltation, Augustine says, when the soul abandons him to whom it ought to cleave as its end and becomes a kind of end of itself. This happens when it becomes its own satisfaction, and it does so when it falls away from that unchangeable good which ought to satisfy it more than itself. The solution to pride is humility. And that is not only exemplified in what Joseph says to his brothers, but it's commended in the other passages we read today. How can you accept people that are so different from yourself, as Paul tells us to in Romans 14? Well, get over yourself. Realize you're not God. God can take care of judging what is really important and what isn't. Your job, Paul says, in community of Christ's people is to welcome one another, to treat one another with respect, not with arrogant judgment. That's what the wicked servant in Jesus' parables did. He, he wanted to be able to hold his brother's debt against him. Jesus says, what, what are you doing? All this was forgiven. All this was forgiven you, and now you're going to hold something against someone else? Who died and made you God? Now, the great, great good news that we have is that God's throne is not empty. God is sitting on it. Our Lord Jesus Christ at His right hand. There is no need for us to take those places. There's no need for us to feel like we've got to get everything sorted out. What we can do when we're wronged is like Joseph to say, what am I, God? I can trust God to work out that judgment. And in a way he did because these guys really don't look good in this book that God's people have been reading for 4,000 years. But we trust Him. We humble ourselves before our God who alone is worthy of that exaltation. Amen.